Welcome to the weekly Retail Politics Podcast, where we deliver one download at a time, the best information on how your government operates. I'm your host, Jerry Shields, and today we will discuss the politics of counting votes with our super guest, Bill Cow, Supervisor of Elections in Orange County, Florida. Welcome, Bill. And good afternoon, Jerry. Oh, good to be on with you. I appreciate it. I was thinking of this week because there was a great cartoon in the Pensacola News Journal, and it's a bartender with a guy sitting at the bar, and they're looking over at a table, and this guy's downing alcohol. He's got a cigarette. He's drunk. And she looks over, and she says, I normally do last call by now, but that poor guy is a supervisor of elections. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was great. Wow, what an election. I I think they just finished counting the ballots in Arizona. That's about 10 days away from the election. But you were on the Federal Elections Commission Board of Advisors for several years. So you know the election system in this country as well as anyone. Give me your overview of how the ballot counting went in this election. Well, you know, the lessons that we learned way back when we first met in 2000 during the presidential election where all eyes were on Florida. Back then, we had one county with lever machines. We had counties with those infamous punch card machines. And then you had uh, here in Orange County and some others, the uh, optical scan systems. And so I think one of the things that we learned after the 2000 election was some of the technology needed to go. So the lever machines are all gone. The punch card has now been decertified across the country. We're left with optical scan or touchscreen voting systems are still being used in some uh, jurisdictions. But I think what we're learning here in this election in 2020 is that we're all paper all the time. And that's what you're hearing is either about processing vote by mail ballots that are paper ballots, or states like Georgia that's gonna do a hand recount of all their ballots, it's paper. And the nice part about paper, you put your mark on it and the piece of paper doesn't change. What was the biggest hurdles that supervisors of election faced this time? I would imagine it was the mail-in ballots, was that correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, the 2020 election has so many layers to it. You know, ideally, it's a presidential election. So it's supposed to be the largest election because more people vote in presidential. And normally, this would be the re-election year. And re-election year for president does not always have the same type of turnout as you do in an open presidential race like we had in 16. And we'll have again in 2024, maybe. Um, You know, the question is, and in, in this situation with the turnout is we had the pandemic on top of a presidential uh, issue and all. So f- from the very beginning of this year, we heard voters are going to vote by mail because you can vote from home and because of the concerns about the coronavirus. So we, from that standpoint, knew that was going to happen. And sure enough, uh, all across the state of Florida and across the country, that wave hit. 
and more people voted by mail than have ever voted uh, before. And I think when I was covering you and uh, Betty there, um, mail-in ballots were kind of controversial, weren't they? At the time, there was concerns that there could be fraud and uh, uh, different people could send in ballots. Why has that changed? Well, I think our lifestyles have totally changed. And 20 years ago, most people could still get time off from work to go to their polling place. If you wanted to vote by mail, we had you had to check off what your excuse was. And, you know, after the 2000 election where we had the long line issues, that's where the legislature in Florida said, hey, if you want to vote by mail, then just get a ballot and vote by mail. So as it later turned out, they changed the term from absentee to vote by mail. And if you want a ballot, request it, vote it and send it back in. So how are you feel about that? I mean, are you comfortable with the way that works? Well, I think one of the things that were worked for us here is the fact that Florida law allows us to process them before election day. And also in Florida, postmark doesn't count. So we're not counting ballots that are received after election day. But, you know, you have more control on the vote by mail process because it's being done here at the central facility and you can have high-speed counters to count it, and so you're not as dependent on finding polling places and finding poll workers and setting up phone lines and all these things that have to go into setting up the polling place operation on election day. I remember seeing a poll, and it may have been well, a while ago, but that America ranked 47th among Western democracies in the process of counting votes. And some of the problems they listed were broken machines, faulty registrations, long lines. Just from the citizen's perspective, it seems that a lot of snags seem to be based on the fact that every state counts the ballots differently. And I believe even some counties in those states don't do it the same way. Why is that? Well, you got to go back to the founding principles that when our founding fathers 245 years ago set up the uh, system is one, president gets sworn in on January the 20th after a presidential election. The United States Senate determined that our federal elections will be held on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. And after that, they said, okay, all, all the states and territories, you write your own election laws. So it's all decentralized. And then when you come to the state of Florida or any state, you know, the state of Florida, we have the 67 supervisor of elections, 66 of us are elected. Miami-Dade is the only one not elected. And again, it's decentralized from the state down to the counties on what voting equipment you buy and how you implement the laws. So, yeah, we are a country where the election process is decentralized. So when you compare us to that survey of other countries, one is, are, is it the government run elections in those countries or is it decentralized like we have it? And I think the other part, too, is we have a lot of not election administrative issues. We just have a lot of community uh, issues and political issues that 
cause the turnout to be less than what we have. And just here in Florida, you know, we've gone through two years and still haven't finalized allowing returning citizens, former felons, and how that process works. So we've got some issues that uh, deter individuals from participating. Do you know why, Bill, the founding fathers left it up to the states? I want to guess that is probably how the the various states were set up and and how the, you know, through the uh, Constitution being written that they wanted to give the states some independence. And I think that just fell in line with that mentality. Do you think there should be a federal system? Do you think everybody should count it the same way? Well, I think that we've learned, and I think that's where the Federal Elections Assistance Commission was created after the 2000 elections, was to bring up standards um, that states could look to, uh, testing of voting equipment so that there was a federal testing of equipment. Uh, So they they did that to kind of give an oversight, but not a direct involvement uh, in the process. And you know, again, the other thing that's always a great debate at this time of the year is the one thing that the founding fathers did put into the Constitution, and that's the Electoral College, which is the method for selecting the president. And just to be clear, in Florida, you say that different counties can count them different ways? Well, in Florida, we can only buy voting equipment from a vendor that's certified. And there's only two vendors certified. But the key thing that Florida has been since 2006 is we are an all paper uh, state. So from that standpoint, uh, every voter votes on paper and we do optical scan of those ballots. And so in terms of what system you use and then what the procedures are for counting them, uh, especially with the vote by mail, uh, is up to the counties. So when you you were really ahead of the game way back um, in the 90s, you had the optical scans. And the great thing about that was once you put your ballot in the machine, you still had the paper. So if there was a question, you could go over it individually. And so you and the great indomitable Betty Carter uh, were really ahead of the game there. And um, you served under her and were elected to succeed. And I was a reporter in Orange County at the time, and she made a great suggestion. She said that I should serve as a poll worker on election day to watch the process come together. And it was fascinating in in, in several different ways. One was the commitment of the poll workers who volunteer. Many were senior citizens, but all were very dedicated, patriotic, and they took their duty very seriously. And I saw that this time at the polls, too. Do you find that most poll poll workers are like that, just really committed to ensuring the accuracy and integrity of counting the votes? They are the lifeline of elections, uh, no matter where it be here in the state of Florida, around the country. They are the lifeline. And again, it was a challenging year because of the uh, virus and Mm. people not wanting to work. And uh, so there was a big push to get people to step up and be poll workers uh, for this general election. And we saw a huge response to that. And, you know, when you put it in the perspective, I mean, obviously uh, back in the the late 90s, 
uh, when we're talking about the Betty Carter error uh, and all, uh, you know, Orange County had maybe 120 precincts and 220,000 voters. And here for this election, we had 247 polling locations, wow. 866,000 registered voters. So, you know, you take and think about having 247 precincts and trying to find eight to nine workers uh, who will actually show up and work on that day uh, is a, a tremendous thing. You know, I remind everybody that my staff is only 49 full-time employees, but on November 3rd, I signed a payroll that was someplace around 3,500 people. Wow, that's amazing. So your work has almost doubled in in uh, 20 years, which is, uh, yeah, that is fascinating. And when you think of the process, and I remember watching, so the votes from our poll went to the downtown office and every, I mean, when you think about how it actually comes together, it's, it's pretty amazing. But what kind of training does a poll worker go through? Well, by law, every poll worker must go through training before they can work at the poll. Uh, and then also the law says every poll worker has to have one hour of training in sensitivity and disability so that they are better prepared to serve voters with a disability at the polling location. And so then they get training on their specific responsibilities. So most workers get at a minimum of three and a person like a poll clerk, which you served as, uh, if they're experienced, they're probably in a four to four and a half hour class. And if they're doing it for the first time, they have to come to what we call a poll clerk boot camp, where they have to come for the whole day because they've got to have an understanding of all aspects of the polling operation. You know, and when we talk about this time span between uh, when you did it and today, you know, how technology has advanced us, uh, you know, the results now are modem in from the voting, the voting machine to the office on election night. And also we have electronic poll books we just swipe the driver's license and up comes the voter's record. And that's amazing because, I mean, we're hearing now about fraud and all these things, but there seems to be, and I'm sure in other states it's the same way, a pretty solid checks and balances, would you think? Exactly. There is checks and balance. And, and one of the things that's interesting is when we train people who just volunteer to be a poll worker on their own, it, you know, you teach them to do the steps, uh, but we have a thing called the Adopt a Precinct program where groups adopt a polling place, and most of them are uh, professionals who are already in the workforce, who are taking days off because uh, it's a fundraiser for their organization, and they understand the things that we're doing have checks and balances in it, uh, so it's a uh, the checks and balance are there. The key thing is, is that word fraud mm -hmm. documented across the country. It's like 0.0024% where there's actually been fraud found, prosecuted and charges. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, in our world today, fraud has become a campaign tool and people throw that fraud around uh, as a way to campaign 
Uh, and we're seeing that playing out here in this post-election uh, period. So you look at a Pennsylvania count and you look at an Arizona count or a Georgia count and uh, Georgia and Arizona were really close Pennsylvania, you know, the way. Why the difference? And, and especially when you're looking at Pennsylvania, why, why the difference in the way these are counted? Well, the key thing goes back to is what are the state laws? Mm-hmm. And it happens. I have an employee here who uh, came here from 18 years of administration in Pennsylvania. And in Pennsylvania, their law does not allow them to start counting the vote by mail ballots or absentees, as they call it there, until the day of the election. Mm-hmm. So you come into this pandemic and more people are voting by mail, but you can't touch them till the day of the election. Well, they're not going. I mean, I spent counting our record number we spent 14 straight days of processing them through machines. And so, you know, if they can't start till election day, and some of these states, and Pennsylvania added it too, that, okay, we'll accept a postmark and we'll accept ballots after that deadline. So now you still got more ballots coming in as you're trying to play catch up. So... That's where I'm saying, should that be uniform? Should that be uniform across the country where, okay, your ballot's got to be in this time. This is when you can start counting them. Well, and that's something that maybe the federal uh, will take up. Or what we hope is that we here, we've gone from 22,000 when we were known as Florida to (laughs) now 2020. Hey, look at Florida. Look at the changes they've made and their laws, what are they doing right? What should we be doing? And maybe those legislatures in you know, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, uh, Georgia, uh, will take a look at our, our procedures, our rules, and maybe uh, they'll start uh, consulting with Florida about how to make changes into theirs. So you brought it up, Florida Bush Gore 2000, and all the eyes were on the magnifying glasses and the hanging chads. What has changed here since then? Well, first off, we started off with the discussion about the equipment. So I think making Florida all paper all the time uh, helped. Also in terms of making process going through the process and providing the timeline to do them because here in florida we did for this election thanks to the governor's extension we had up to 26 days that prior to election day that we could begin processing the vote by mail ballots through the tabulators and then on the other part is we come up with a good structure in terms of voter intent rule to interpret how marks on the ballots are. We've come up with standards for uh, signature verification. So we streamline our processes. And uh, the other part too is just the way it shifted, as I said earlier, that now number one this year was vote by mail. Number two was early voting. And remember, early voting was another activity that came out of the 2000 election. And so in here in Orange County, we call it convenience voting. (laughs) People work in a service industry community here, and they don't have a Monday through Friday work schedule, and their boss will let them take the day off on Tuesday to go vote because we're tourists, we're retail, we're uh, 
restaurants, we are hotel services. And so voters need to vote when they can vote. And that's where early voting has become so popular. That's the number two way. In this election, going to your polling place, we had less than 110,000 voters go to their polling place on election day because they had already early voted or they had voted by mail. So that change uh, took the pressure off of the election day. So those are all things that we've done to make Florida look really good. We shined really bright uh, on November 3rd. You did. And, you know, back in the day when you and I were working, um, that was a concern. The early voting was a concern. The ballots, the mail-in ballots were a concern. Um, Where did that concern go away? And obviously it's helped. Well, I think a lot of it is just our lifestyles because it becomes a convenient uh, by voting by mail. It's more convenient. Plus, you give you more time to study the issues, particularly since the ballot has gotten longer with more amendments on it. Uh, so that uh, gives them more time to vote on it. The convenience of early voting uh, has really uh, helped the voter. Uh, and that's where that shift has come because of our lifestyle uh, in uh, terms of when we can vote. So back then the concern was mail-in ballot and early voting is going to result in fraud and, you know, misdeeds. And as we have done it, we've realized that that's not the case, correct? Correct. And again, I think one of the things that came out of this election was the message, take responsibility for your ballot. And so while there was this whole issue about the postal system, Uh, Here in Orange County, during the 14 days of early voting, almost 88,000 voters hand-delivered their ballot to a early voting site Mm. and dropped it in the secured drop box. And so uh, when you look at that and then the voters who took their vote-by-mail ballots and said, well, Okay, I feel like voting in person instead, which was close to 42,000 voters here. Voters took responsibility for their ballots. The other thing on our side, we've also set up a tracking system. Every county has a tracking system on our website. And here in Orange, as soon as your ballot's back in and it's been accepted and it's going to go into the um, to be counted, you receive an email. If we have your email address, we'll send you an email saying your ballot was received on this day mm-hmm. and your ballot is on to be counted. So there's accountability there on it. And the other key thing that has changed is if you don't sign your ballot, which is amazing how somebody sends it back and they don't sign the certificate, or if your signature is changed and it doesn't match, there's a cure process now. And this time we had more people take advantage of the cure. So I think the key thing that made the vote by mail successful is voters really took responsibility for making sure their ballot was in and that it was going to get counted. What was that cure? How do you how do you get around that? As soon as as soon as we recognize the fact that you failed to sign the certificate or your signature doesn't match, we immediately send you an affidavit uh, electronically, whatever way we can do it. If we have email and all or finally we'll mail it. Then we put our phone bank on calling the voters because if you fill out the affidavit and you send it back, the affidavit will update your signature on your record 
and then your ballot goes over to be counted as soon as we get that affidavit. And so a lot of pressure was put on it. And uh, we had uh, our phone bank calling people to remind them to get it in, uh, social media reminding people to get them in if they got an affidavit. And so we saw the fewest number of ballots go uncounted than we have in a real long time. One of the things I was blown away with again on that day was uh, just the commitment of voters, as we're talking about. There was a lady came in in a wheelchair. She had an oxygen tank. I mean, she's really like, you know, she's, she's, she looks like she's hurting. And she had voted for every president since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And she was determined to get that vote in. And I was like, wow, this is dedication. And voters really take it seriously. You had a good story this year about a pregnant woman voting. Tell us about it. Yeah, we had uh, early voting and our office was one of the sites. And uh, this uh, gentleman was stood in line until it was his turn. And when he got up to the window, he held up two driver's license and says, I've got, I've got the person who's got to vote. And they said, well, you know, they have to come in side to do it. And he says, well, I've already voted. It's my wife, and she's pregnant. She's in labor. <laughs> Winnie Palmer Hospital is right behind our office, and we're on our way. But she will not go to the hospital until she gets to vote. So because she couldn't come into the building, we then had to treat it like a vote-by-mail ballot. And so we delivered it to her at the car and she literally sat in the car and marked her ballot, handed, signed the envelope, handed it back. Then the husband left for the hospital and the ballot came in here to be counted. That's amazing. And and that just shows you the commitment that Americans have um, to the process. So we're seeing a lot of legal challenges on behalf of the Trump administration, many of them targeting my home state of Pennsylvania. A lot of people are saying that Trump is just being a sore loser. But one case intrigues me in Pennsylvania, which was decisive state that put Biden over the 270 electoral votes he needed to be called the winner. The Trump side says that Pennsylvania extended the deadline when ballots could be collected, stating they had to be postmarked by Election Day. A judge allowed it, but Trump's folks say the, dr- the judge did not have the jurisdictions to do that because the legislature makes the elections laws in Pennsylvania. How would that challenge hold up here in Florida? Well, the issue has been brought up multiple times before the Florida election uh, and the judges, the federal judges that heard it here in Florida uh, said that's an issue for the legislature and they didn't consider it. Wow. So they threw it back to them. No, I mean, was it overruled? Was the judges over? Were they overruled? Uh, The judges... uh, I wouldn't say they were overruled. I mean, just their decision from the bench was that that's not my authority. That's something for the Florida legislature. And of course, the legislative session is was in January through March. So no, the governor wasn't going to call the legislators back for a special session uh, to do that. Uh, so uh, we didn't get, you know, we didn't get that extension nor do I think we'll ever get it. Um, I think because of the way that we 
allow the ballots to be open and processed so far in advance. And that's why so much push was put on using those drop boxes and making sure. This election, I saw the fewest ballots arrive after election day. And again, I think we got our message out. They have to be here by the deadline. So it sounds like you're saying this challenge by the Trump administration could be a, I don't know, valid argument. Uh, well, <clears throat> it may be, but again, uh, we'd have to go back and really see, did it also get backed up by the le legislature? Did they take the ruling and then change the law in the state? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll that's, be interesting. That's the two parts of it. Yeah, because um, I mean, they can appeal it and appeal it and appeal it, and maybe uh, some people say that it'll end up in the Supreme Court, but I, I don't see it happening this time. I I don't know. Again, we go back to that one thing that the founding fathers did put into the uh, Constitution, and that's the Electoral College and how the process works. So. This is going to be a great debate that goes on. And then the debate that comes up after every presidential election is the one that has to do with, should it be the national popular vote? And that opens up another whole can of worms. Wow. So, all right, I'm going to say King Bill Cows. Make suggestions on how you think the nationwide ballot voting uh, counting system can be improved. And that's, that's to get all the states together and let them look at what Florida has done. Florida is shining bright right now. Right. And um, so you are saying, hey, states get together. Let's try to work on something that's a little more systematic. I think, you know, I think the legislators need to talk to each other and share best practices and look at states like Florida uh, from this election and see how they can improve theirs. Excellent. Excellent. And then the Federal Elections Assistance Commission is also one that can provide best practices to states to consider. Are we going to see a lot of that here as a result of this election? You're going to see a lot of blowback about how we're counting ballots in America? Uh, I think that'll be a discussion that will go on for some time. Uh, but again, it's going to have to focus on what the state laws are and and uh, how they how they were implemented if they were changed. Well, I thank you for being with us today, but I also thank you for serving as an example of how to do it well. And I know you do that because I saw it. I saw it and I worked with you. So thank you for that. And I think uh, your office is a shining example of how this is done right. So I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate it. And you're only as good as the last election, so we're already working on the next one. Excellent. Well, thanks, Bill. Thanks for being with us. All right. My pleasure. All right. We want to thank our producer, Mike Gugat, and our sound wizard, the Wizard of Pods, Brad, maybe. And if you get a chance, check out my new book, which is called The Front Row, uh, Recording American History from Reagan to Trump. And you can find that on Amazon. Next week, we'll be back with another weekly broadcast of retail politics. Until that time, always remember to read Beyond the Headlines. Have a great week.